Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to the Bare Necessities podcast. And this is our 30th episode, so we're going to have a little bit of a celebration in the beginning of the show. But today, we have a long list of topics that we're going to be going over. The first being, should the Bears consider trading for Raheem Mostert? There were some kind of baseline rumors that the Bears might possibly be interested in him. Um, and Reese and I just kind of give our takes on that this episode. Following that, we're going to be getting into the Trubisky versus Foles competition. There has been a couple updates leaning towards the side of Trubisky. Then we're going to be getting into Reese and I's top story storylines and players to watch in camp and finally we're going to round out the show on questioning whether or not the nfl should consider bubble cities you know the nhl and nba have both decided on taking the sport to a couple little locations to limit the amount of contact that their players will be receiving But before we get into the show, I wanted to ask you guys to please check out and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're doing a bunch of exclusive content on there from here on out. So if you want to get more of your favorite Bear Necessities podcast, go ahead and check us out on there. The link will be in the podcast description. Also, if you have the time, go ahead and follow us on Instagram at Chicago Bear Necessities. And hey, I want to offer you guys kind of a cool opportunity Uh, from here on out. If you guys submit us any sort of questions via DM on our Instagram, we will answer them during the show. Also, if you guys really want to help us out, send our podcast to two of your Bears friends and try to get them to listen. And if you screenshot you doing that or tell us you did it, just DM us and we will give you a shout out on the show. Thank you guys so much for your continued love and support. It's just been a blessing these past 30 episodes and we're looking forward to a lot more in the future. Sit back, relax and bear down. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bear Necessities podcast. Today, it's just Reese and I, for the first time in a while, I mean, we haven't had a traditional podcast in, what, like a week, maybe a week and a half? But yeah, back to, the, back to the old grind, I guess, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the 30th episode this week, so it's, you know, in a way, a celebration. We've been really working our butts off for this podcast. I mean, um, we recently, we've obviously expanded to YouTube, Instagram, um, and for you guys who don't know, it's just type in Chicago Bear Necessities Podcast into YouTube and you can subscribe to us there. Um, but we all, we have been working really hard with this podcast. We're really excited for our growth. It seems like, you know, every single week we're growing, every single month we're growing. Um, and it's just a testament to you guys. We thank you guys so much. We know that we have a very loyal listening base and we have, you know, we have a ton of people who listen fully through the podcast and and that's huge and we appreciate all of you guys for doing that yeah some of you guys have left a rating and review which is of course extremely beneficial to us but for a minute for the first little bit of the podcast we just kind of want to reflect on i guess where we've gotten so far i mean reese it seems like what is it now two years ago is when we first started podcasting uh with the truth football podcast yeah yeah i mean which was I mean, it was a failed experiment, I guess you'd say, but kind of gave us the uh, inspiration to continue on it and get it going better and better. And, you know, I think it was good for us to kind of do that and then realize we needed to narrow our focus in a way. And that way we could actually put out some some good quality content that was just a little bit deeper than surface level. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know and who actually care about your host here, I know some of you guys just care about Bears News and that's completely fine. But um, we actually began our journey with the Truth Football Podcast. It was it was definitely uh, a little bit of a humbling experience kind of figuring out the difficulty of podcasting. I remember we would probably get like eight, nine views. I think we got up to like maybe like 10 or 11, 12 <laughs> towards the end of it. But um, it was a, it was a very humbling experience. And we just it was a general NFL podcast and we just, we, we took a long look at ourselves and we decided that, you know, the best thing that we could possibly do is just shut it down and build up from the ground. So we completely, we didn't just change the name or anything like that. We completely started a new podcast, got a new RSS feed, really just completely started over and started the bare necessities. Was it now like a year and a half ago? Oh, actually, no, almost a year ago, we started the bare necessities. And right. Then, you know, some some things came up, a lot of life stuff. So we had to take a take a break for a little bit. Um, but ultimately, we decided to come back, and we've been stronger, better than ever. And we have no there there's no way we're gonna stop because we have just we've seen what our consistency and our commitment to this has done for us. We've been growing exponentially every single month, and um, it's just been it's been really awesome and really to hit this thirty. 
30 episode mark, we have longer podcasts than a lot of other people. So, I mean, that's like 30 hours of pure talking. That's probably, you know, another 30 hours worth of editing, another 30 hours worth of positioning and coming up with our titles and descriptions and probably another 20 hours with YouTube. So we've definitely put all of our, uh, you know, everything we've got into this podcast. And we're just so thankful that you guys uh, have decided to stick around and, you know, listen to some uh, two schmucks from Chicago talk about uh, the Bears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, for the motto or the saying that uh, third time's a charm is, I think that's really ringing true with us. And like you said, we're here to stick around. So all of our listeners that have been here from the jump, uh, you'll be able to say that, you know, you were listening to us like years ago. So you can flex on it like that. Yeah, we are uh, all gas, no breaks right now. And, uh, that's that's our that's our motto. Uh, two times a week, and then uh, a segment on YouTube per week as well. So make sure to subscribe to us there. But you know, let's stop. Uh, let's stop. Uh, God damn, stumbling over my words. Jesus. You're good. You think our, you think after run 30, down memory lane or whatever the saying? Is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'd think after 30 episodes, I wouldn't do that anymore. But um, we're just gonna leave that in there because we like to be authentic. Again, for you guys who don't know, we we don't tend to really edit our podcast that much um we like to actually keep in the little mess ups and kind of makes things more personal um or at least that's what i can tell myself but um <laughs> we have we have a wide range of topics today and the first being should the bears trade for raheem mozart and now i just did a youtube segment on this for you guys who have actually subscribed to our youtube um where i kind of did a little you know a quick little talk about it but you know everything's better when reese and i can actually talk about it so reese why don't you uh why don't you go ahead and start us off on this yeah, yeah. So the rumors, I mean, it was interesting. I think when it first popped up, I was a little bit more intrigued than I was now. And then I kind of sat and thought about it for a little bit. And yeah, I mean, the Bears do need a little bit of help in the running back area. But the way I looked at it is that the Bears really need to invest in their in their youth and keep developing their youth. Um, it was in the past draft, not the 2020 draft, but the 2019 draft, the Bears took David Montgomery, who's a totally different back than Mostert. But, you know, someone that you would say is definitely you want to be your predominant ball carrier. He's at least your first and second down back. If you want to change it up with on third down with Cohen or just, you know, somewhere else, throw that little change up. Then Cohen was a good change of pace, but Nagy didn't really fully utilize him. It kind of made it seem like the bears need a lot more help on the running back side of the ball. Um, With that being said, you know, one of the, one of the undrafted free agents that you've been a big fan of Austin, Artavis Pierce. I think that, you know, after watching some of his college highlights and all that, even watching a game where he played very well against Ohio State in 2018, which had one of those toughest defenses, you know, it had Chase Young, it had Nick Absolutely. Bosa, had a bunch of defensive talents on there, you know, had a CUDA on there, but every, from front to back, great defense. And he was able to get get 11 rushes for 168 yards and also do some things, you know, pass catching as well. So I think that Raheem Mostert can bring could, would be able to bring some things to the Bears, but I think that they just need to invest in what they have right now and keep that, keep those carries and just keep getting that experience up. That's the way I see it. Unless you're able to get them for a steal of some kind of trade, then I think for the Bears it doesn't really make that much sense. Yeah, so that's definitely a, you know, a good perspective on it, and I would agree with you there that the Bears, they do need to focus on young talent. We do have some aging pieces that we're going to need to move on from pretty soon, and we're also going to have you know, some guys we're going to have to give second contracts coming up relatively shortly. But um, for Raheem Mostert, um, a guy who gave the San Francisco 49ers 700 yards in a rotational role, that's, that's you know, that's quite an achievement for a rotational running back. I would be very happy if the Bears end up trading for him because, hey, this running game, let's let's not be, uh, let's not think that we have a a good running game, right? We haven't had a good running game in two years. And I think that anything that we can do to improve it, as long as it comes with a, you know, a moderate price, I think that's fine. Now, the price, I was going to say, I wouldn't give anything more than $4 million a year and a fifth round pick because there's very few fifth round picks that end up turning out pretty well for the Bears. I know, obviously, Bilal Nichols is an example of one that did. 
Um, but ultimately, I mean, you get a lot of guys like, um, what was it, Kylie Fitz and, and, and some just some guys that, you know, they're no names, right? And they've, they're off the team now. So fifth round pick, I, I think, is absolutely fine for a guy with proven production, especially at that level. And $4 million a year, that's not that great. That's not that big of a contract. And hey, if he, you know, outperforms that, we need to give him another contract next year. Who cares? I mean, that's that just shows that we made the right move. Um, so yeah, I would be in favor for trading for him as long as it's for the right price. Of course, I wouldn't give him like a $7 million a year contract or like a third round pick. That'd be absolutely outrageous. But I do tend to be um, an individual that kind of assesses the Bears move based on the value. There's pretty much the Bears would be making a good move trading for him, essentially any player as long as they got the good, the right proper value for him. And that's kind of where I sit on that. The, the way I see it is, I think, in a way, the whole situation has been blown up by the media it, to some extent because there's a kind of lack of news out there, especially with on the Bears' front. It's always interesting to get some like some trade speculation. But also, too, I think there's a little bit more risk in it than people really would kind of lead on. He had a great season last year in that rotational role, but it was one great season. And mm-hmm. also, I think that yeah, we also need to take an account too. It did come in that rotational role. So I don't know. I think that there's a chance that what we saw from him was him being a result of being a good scheme fit, you know, in Kyle Shanahan's mm-hmm. offense. I think he has a great scheme and which, you know, helps someone like Jimmy Garoppolo, who I know you're not very fond of guide that team to the Super Bowl. So I think there's some things you need to take into account. Yeah, and the 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 major key on that San Francisco 49ers offense has was a very dangerous run game. So, I mean, it just kind of shows you that the run game even though, you know, so much has been made out of the passing game these past couple of years, the run game cannot be forgotten about. Um it's definitely something that you've seen really kind of reemerge especially with the Ravens, 49ers, teams like that who have realized the you know, really what having a dynamic, dominant run game can do for your team, especially for someone like Jimmy Garoppolo, who, you know, I think is on an equal level with Mitchell Trubisky. Like, I don't I don't believe Jimmy Garoppolo is this great quarterback. I honestly think that he held the 49ers back last year more than he helped them. And they still ended up in the Super Bowl. So that just kind of goes to show you what a running back and, you know, obviously a really good coaching staff can do for a team. But, you know, again, I agree with you. This is mindless speculation at this point. Nothing has came out that the Bears want to go out and get them. Nothing has came out that we're even considering this move. So I think that it's just something that we'll just have to leave at that. What is relevant news, though, is Trubisky and Foles. It's the everlasting offseason storyline who is going to start for us, who is going to finish the season for us. And recently, a lot of news has been coming out on the side of Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky is supposedly, or has supposedly, got his throwing shoulder rebalanced. Apparently, he had some leftover injuries from that from 2018 when he got hit by Harrison Smith. And, you know, Mitchell Trubisky has had a ton of inconsistencies in his career, so I don't know how much that's going to affect him, but, you know, maybe it'll help marginally. We talked about that on a previous episode, but another thing that came out is there's been a lot of well-respected NFL reporters coming out and saying that Trubisky's offseason has been, you know, really good, and he's been doing everything that he needs to be. He's really uh, shored up his footwork and his release, and that was the focus. That was his primary focus this entire offseason. Reese, are you buying into any of this Trubisky hype? I don't know if I'm buying into the hype per se, but I'm coming to the real realization that I, I'm pretty damn sure that Trubisky is going to be starting week one, you know, and it's going to be his performance mm-hmm. from there on out that really guides whether or not Foles is going to get the starting role at any point. You know, I, I think that all I saw, of course, Anthony Miller, we had the whole, he shared a video of him working out with, you know, Mitch which went pretty viral. And it seems like that's kind of just the trend, the way that things are going is that, you know, the wide receivers seem to be working out with Mitch. And I think a, a certain amount of that goes with the familiarity, right? Um, it's been a very unique off season. I mean, right now we'd be getting very close to training camp. You know, so these wide receivers would already have plenty of chances to catch balls from Nick Foles and really kind of understand it. But with the way things have been, 
Mitch has had the chance to go out and work with some of these receivers and for Foles maybe it's a little more awkward. I don't I don't know quite sure what's holding him back. Maybe he could be working out with wide receivers too. We just haven't really heard it in the news. But you know, yeah, I think that the reports that I'm not gonna buy into anything that he's especially good. He's coming back any better than he was last year. But I am happy that he's putting the work in and I think that right now the way things are going, and I've been saying this for you know, probably the past couple of podcasts now, because it seems to be a, a subject that we talk about just about every podcast, but, but for a good reason. I mean, it's the most important position. Yeah, it just seems like Trubisky is almost a shoe-in for that week one starter. Absolutely. And, you know, I kind of do believe that we are going to see some sort of improved version of Mitchell Trubisky. It seems like he has been extremely devoted to improving this offseason, which we didn't really see in previous off seasons and maybe that's a little bit of a question mark like why didn't he push himself harder these past couple of years why did he kind of let things uh just kind of you know why was he a passenger and he wasn't a driver you know why was he not taking control of his career early on when he didn't have a contract extension coming up or a, a need for a contract extension coming up but you know that's all in the past Trubisky has been really approaching this offseason really well and I was excited to hear that he was working specifically on his footwork because that's been one of his biggest issues. Mitchell Trubisky, as far as a thrower of the ball, um, when you don't, you know, consider the footwork, he is actually very accurate. When his footwork is on point, it's he, he's an extremely accurate quarterback. The issue is one one little hitch that he has uh, in, his, in his play is that when he's doing a drop back and he's not operating out of shotgun, he tends to rush his last foot his last drop back and it causes him to sail the ball for you guys who don't know more of the technicalities of the uh, of the quarterback position that last step is in is very important because it kind of sets you up for the trajectory that you throw so when you miss that last step you throw it at a higher trajectory and that's what resulted in a lot of Mitchell Trubisky's overthrows it's been very well noted his release you know some people make a bigger deal of than it is he does have some slight hitches in his release it's not the best but that's you know getting technically better that's going to help Mitchell Trubisky a lot and but what I do have to say is that I am still concerned with his mental side of the game it seems like you know he's had the most difficulty when he can't understand what's going on and you know I do have faith that with an extra year he'll be able to kind of really get to know Nagy's playbook better get to know opposing defenses better but we really don't know the degree to which he will improve in that this offseason. If he mightily improves in that, I think we're going to see Mitchell Trubisky perform uh, way better than he ever has. And I think that we're going to see a really solid Mitchell Trubisky. But so far, he has not demonstrated his ability to improve in that regard. Yeah, I think it's certainly, I mean, that's his biggest hurdle, right? His biggest thing to get over is that, that mental part of it. I think that I mean, there's been so many quarterbacks that have been great that aren't technically sound or don't come into the lead technically sound. I think that the footwork, like, yeah, exactly. Like you said, the footwork is something that could be worked on a little bit more, but the release, that's often a very overplayed thing that we see a lot during, like, draft time. Jimmy Garoppolo has, uh, has a really good release, and he's not the best quarterback. I mean, you can you can overplay the release as much as you can underplay it. Yeah, exactly. So... I think that that the mental aspect is certainly what what needs to be conquered, right? And certainly another offseason, a year for him to understand the playbook is crucial, you know. And I, I think that it can only help. But I, I'm, you know, seeing is always believing. I think I always say that, and I just want to want to see it from him, you know. I think that there's been I've never really questioned Trubisky's physical traits. I think that. You know, he's shown quite a bit of good athleticism. You know, he's obviously a very mobile quarterback. He doesn't always run, but it's certainly an option there if he if he needs to do it. And, and that's a huge threat, especially on, you know, big crucial situations where you need to get a first down. And Trubisky's shown the drive and the want to go out there and get it and do it with his legs. And now I just need to see that the better decision-making, the less hesitancy, you know, Patrick Mahomes said this past week that he didn't even understand reading defenses until halfway into, uh, what, 2018 or 2019? Yeah, 2018. Yeah. He, he didn't and understand. 
that's yeah, an indictment understand. on Nagy. Like true, like truthfully, that's an indictment on Nagy. Nagy, because you know why? Andy Reid sets Patrick Mahomes up to read half the field. Patrick Mahomes plays play play action and rollouts so damn much. Like that is almost probably half of their plays is some sort of play action, some sort of rollout, some sort of RPO. Really easy stuff for young quarterbacks to understand. But Matt Nagy, he has consistently made put Mitch into either one of these two categories. I'm gonna give you all of the playbook, or I'm gonna give you none of the playbook. Yeah, certainly. And, and what I, well, the point I was trying to get at too. I mean, and I think you brought up a very a very strong and important point as well. What I was trying to say is that. Obviously, I mean, Mahomes just had an instinct. I mean, he's gotten better over time, but even when he started, he was pretty effective from the get-go, even though he didn't fully understand defenses. And if part of the reason why Mitchell Trubisky struggles is because he can't read defenses, it just seems like he doesn't quite have that instinct that, you know, Mahomes would have. And not that Trubisky needs to be a Mahomes at all, but it's just at times we, I need to see that football instinct, and I haven't seen it. But the question is, can it be taught? Can it be worked into Trubisky? And can we see it in this year? I mean, hopefully it happens, right? It'd be the absolute best case scenario. We've drilled that before. And and hopefully Nagy can help him along the way and not do a, okay, yeah, we're giving you all of the playbook and you can try to work through it and struggle through that. Or we're going to completely cut your playbook and you're just going to run really rudimentary plays. It's going to make our offense very predictable, and just slow and bad and just everything that we saw last year. This might come a little bit controversial for people who have not watched Patrick Mahomes play. Patrick Mahomes misses just as many passes as Mitchell Trubisky. But the difference between Patrick Mahomes and Mitchell Trubisky is that Patrick Mahomes also pulls the Kansas City Chiefs out of the ground on just as many plays as he misses. He makes up for it because... The, when he misses a play, the next play he throws is a damn touchdown. That's 80 yards. It's okay yeah. to miss some passes if you can be efficient in other regards. Patrick Mahomes, he isn't the most quote-unquote efficient passer. He's not, He's not. you know, a Tom Brady where he's just going to kill you with, you know, paper cuts. I think is the... Uh, you know, the, um, the trope or whatever. Yeah, um, exactly. But Patrick Mahomes, he is outstanding when it comes to making these big plays that's what that's why the Kansas City City Chiefs played him paid him and it's a little bit scary to think that he might be able to become more efficient if he once he learns how to read defenses better now Mitchell Trubisky it's okay if he misses you know a 10-yard pass to Allen Robinson if the next play is a 30 a 30-yard touchdown you know, that's okay, but he needs to have that opposite end of it that Patrick Mahomes has. And I don't think he, I don't think that that is out of the question for him. And you know, maybe I am buying into a little bit of the media hype. I, at first I was very hesitant and I just wanted Mitchell Trubisky off the team. But I looked back and I rewatched almost every single one of his games where he did well, where he did bad. And I kind of recognized that he had he displayed a lot more good than I think the media gives him credit for, and a lot of the bad that he gets uh, put on him. There, he obviously had some really bad passes and some really stupid decisions this past year, but a lot of the bad that gets put on him is equally as is equally Nagy's fault as it is his fault. So, Mitchell Trubisky, I do think he ends up starting. I do think that he plays a, a decent amount of the season. You know, I, I think that he can beat out Nick Foles. And the other thing that I want to mention is that Trubisky isn't even as bad as some people make him out to be. His play last year was no worse than Baker Mayfield or Phillip Rivers. or It was pretty on par for someone like Josh Allen. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, team success does a lot of a lot of covering that up. And, and and Josh Allen, while playing on Buffalo, which isn't like one of the smallest teams, it certainly doesn't have the media pull that Chicago has. And, you know, we know how it goes with Chicago. I mean, us as fans, we expect a lot out of the team, and even the national media is usually pretty low on the Bears. So that, that kind of just falls in line with that. I think that Josh Allen, I think each quarterback should be judged independently, right? I think it's almost unfair to... to you know, judge 
Mitch Trubisky against Josh Allen. It's extremely unfair to to judge Trubisky against Mahomes. You know, I think that. <laughs> I think honestly the best thing to look for what Trubisky can become is what he was projected to be like in the draft, which was someone like Ben Roethlisberger. And I think that if he could end up becoming someone like Ben Roethlisberger, this Bears team could be very successful. Because if you look at the way Ben Roethlisberger succeeded, Ben Roethlisberger was very boomer bust. He misses quite a few passes. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like you said, he is efficient. He did make those big plays. I mean, think about that clutch throw that he made in the Super Bowl against the Cardinals to to Mike uh, blanking on the name. It wasn't Williams? Is it Mike Williams? No, I, I think don't, I can't remember truthfully. Ah, Mike Williams on the Chargers. What's a what's a shame? Because it was oh Holmes, right? San Antonio oh yeah, Holmes? yeah, 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 yeah. The tiptoe in the corner of the end zone. Yeah, San Antonio Holmes. What the hell is that thing? Mike Williams, but. Uh, <laughs> But just if you could be like Ben Roethlisberger, which those teams had elite defenses like this Bears team will have and has had for the past couple of years. So if he can just produce at like something that was like that level, like Ben Roethlisberger was earlier on into the peak of his career, it would literally be perfect. So I think that judging Trubisky against you know other quarterbacks, I think any team that does that, it does more harm than good. It should just be what does Trubisky do well for the Chicago Bears and what can he improve upon? And this offense needs to become more efficient. And I think in turn, Trubisky could just simply become more efficient, a more efficient passer. I think Trubisky is going to surprise a lot of people this year. I don't think that he is this god-awful quarterback that some people make him out to be. I think, yeah, he has been mightily inconsistent but so are a lot of young quarterbacks. What he doesn't have on his side, like Patrick Mahomes has, is two all-pro weapons, a good offensive line, and then Sammy Watkins and at one point Kareem Hunt. Trubisky has had nothing like a Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey around him in his entire career. The best thing he's had around him was is Allen Robinson. And I'm not giving, you know, Trubisky still should have succeeded. But what I want to say is that, you know, everything isn't, the NFL players don't perform in a bubble, you know. Like there's a, there's ten other players on the field that are affecting Trubisky's play, and there's a coach coaching him. Trubisky obviously needs to play better, but I think blaming all of the Bears' struggles on Trubisky is more of a way for fans to scapegoat on this team. Like, if you really believe that all of the Bears' offensive struggles were because of Mitchell Trubisky last year. I have some bad news for you because Nick Foles isn't going to solve all of them. You know, like we, we need to recognize that Trubisky, sure, he hasn't played well. He hasn't played nearly as well as Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes, but you know, he hasn't played God awful either. He's definitely missed some throws. He definitely could improve on some things, but he's a young quarterback. He's a really young quarterback. And I think that this year, Trubisky can show just based on the the upgrades we've had on the team the upgrades and the coaching I think Trubisky can show he can be somewhat competent and to be honest I almost don't want that to happen (laughs) you want to know why because I'm afraid of the decision the Bears will have to make next year I think that Trubisky might put up a good enough season where we're we're at the crossroads where is it like do we get rid of him do we move on or do, do we go for the draft or do we keep them? And so I want to pose this question to you, Reese. If Trubisky goes out there and puts up, you know, a 28 touchdown, 10 interception season, what what do we do? What do Bears, what does the Bears organization do? Yeah, I would still draft a quarterback. But what does the Bears organization do is a totally different question because you have to understand the Bears organization doesn't always act in rational ways. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they don't absolutely. always act very logically. And I think it. I think our fears would be proved correct if Trubisky was able to put out a season like that. You know, maybe mm-hmm. a shade better. Let's say he gets like thirty touchdowns, ten interceptions, and gets this team to the playoffs. No way in hell is that team drafting. No way in hell is the bear are the Bears drafting a quarterback in the first round. As scary That's as scary. that sounds, and as much as we've been plugging that and saying that that's something the Bears need to do, no matter what. It's still not going to happen. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. If Mitchell Trubisky puts up a 30-touchdown season with 10 interceptions, I'm trading him. 
I don't want him on the team because I don't know. I I have way more faith in the two quarterbacks at number one and number two coming out next year. Hell, yeah. I might even have more faith in a quarterback that could be drafted like 13th overall, Jamie Newman. You know? Yeah. I, I, I have way more faith in these young guys. And it's, you know, maybe it's a little unfair because you kind of look at like someone like Drew Brees or, you know, Alex Smith or guys who had a really difficult start to their career. But, um, and then they end up, they end up kind of turning out, but it's almost like I've seen enough from Trubisky to believe that I don't think he will ever win a Super Bowl. Even right. if, even if he turns out to be, you know, maybe a Kirk Cousins like quarterback, maybe a, you know, Dak Prescott like quarterback. Even if he does that, I don't think he can win the Super Bowl. So you know, I know what I would do. I would say I would send him to. I mean, to be honest, there'd be a lot of teams that would take Trubisky for that number one pick if he put up if he put up thirty plus touchdowns and under ten interceptions. I think I don't, that, I don't know about number. Are you talking okay, about like maybe the overall number, number maybe, one? Yeah, maybe number two because you have to think that. When was the last time a quarterback that put up those numbers gets traded? Yeah, but man, I would say in this upcoming draft with all that potential that some of those quarterbacks are carrying, to say that a team would dra- draft away its overall number one pick, I think is crazy. Yeah, um, maybe maybe just... not number one, but I'm thinking at least a top ten pick. At least, at minimum. I think that's still pushing it a little bit. Maybe really? we're just at a little bit of a disagreement, but I think yeah, it's... Yeah, I, I just disagree. I think to I... get... To get a, I would say if Trubisky put up those numbers, let's say he does a flat, like thirty touchdown, ten interception, thirty five hundred yards, or like close to four thousand. So like a pretty like top ten, like getting up there to elite quarterback season. Man, I would say that a second round pick to maybe a late first would be a, a, and honestly a very good haul. I think. I think expecting really? anything higher than that. Would, I would I honestly, at yeah. that point I would rather just keep Trubisky and draft a player. Like I would like I I just I don't like when was the last time a quarterback like if Trubisky went take the Bears to the playoffs when was the last time a playoff quarterback was traded? Like we we have to think very carefully about this because I mean, look what Jimmy Garoppolo got. Jimmy Garoppolo got a second round pick and he he played like four or five games. You know? Yeah, but that's just like a lot of teams like to trade with like potential, and I guess Trubisky would still have it. But I think I think teams would be a little bit more reserved. You know, I'm trying to think of like a similar well, here, situation because you said this what, situation does not happen much. You know, what do you that think kind of Dak Prescott would be traded for right now? Because I think that's the best comparison you can put for Trubisky if he had a decent season next year. Dak Prescott, I think Dak Prescott would feel like a. You think he'd get a first? I think he yeah, would get absolutely. a second in all their picks. I think he'd get a second really? in multiple picks. Well, Personally, it, I, I, teams just like they like to foster their own quarterbacks. I think that's just the way it is. You know, that, that's a good point. I, I think I personally believe that Dak Prescott would get a first round pick. I think hell, I think I even think someone like a like a Derek Carr would get a second round pick, a, a high second round pick. I, really? I think, yeah, well, I maybe. Think, Maybe I'm just, undervaluing the quarterback position a bit just because I'm thinking too logically. I don't know. It's completely hypothetical right now. And it's of course on the uh the 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 you know contingency that Mitchell Trubisky has a thirty and ten season, which is still a, a major question mark that's yeah. prob most likely ninety percent <laughs> not going to happen. Um, but that be, that being said, it it is interesting to kind of fathom that because I would trade, you know, I would trade Mitchell Trubisky even if he took us to the playoffs because hell, I just don't trust him anymore, and I don't think that I don't think that's wrong. Like I I think that we need to have a really realistic look on Mitchell Trubisky, and it would also scare me that he only did this when there was no fans in the stadium. So can he even like, is he is it a pressure thing? Can he not handle the pressure? Right. What what is it? So. Um, ultimately, yeah. I just I really hope we draft a quarterback next year. Like I really, really hope, regardless of what happens, even if Trubisky wins the damn MVP, draft a quarterback. Okay. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't really have anything else to add on to that. Should we get into the training camp if there is anything or preseason yeah. what to look out for? Yeah. So um, 
The next segment we have is the top camp storylines and players to watch. So, I mean, I guess the way we'll go about it is we'll just each give one of the things that we're looking for this camp. And um, I guess I'll start off because it's someone who yeah. you already mentioned, Reese. Um, Artavis Pierce. He is a player who can fulfill a need for us that we desperately have. Okay, and that's an in-between between Tariq Cohen and David Montgomery. His tape is stellar. He's played extremely well in college football. Running backs are some of the easiest positions to transfer over from college to the NFL. And this guy can absolutely contribute if he ends up he if he if he makes the roster, this guy can absolutely contribute. And he could end up being a major piece for us this season. I mean, it's not it's pretty common actually that we see undrafted running backs contributing in their first year, second year, third year. Um, I mean, hell, even look at who we were just talking about in Raheem Mosar. He was undrafted guy. It took him a little bit to, to find his place, but ends up having a 700-yard season. Another guy you look up at is Philip Lindsay or Austin Eckler. Some more undrafted guys that, you know, played really well. So I'm excited for him. I think that... Uh... I'm really excited to, to see him play because I think that he brings a little bit of something that the Bears don't really have, with maybe the exception of Tariq Cohen, but I don't really like him really running out of the backfield too much unless it's a outside run, and even then it usually gets stifled mm-hmm. and he gets pushed outside for a couple of yards. I prefer him as I a think receiver. That, yeah, honestly. I, I think that what Pierce brings is the ability to actually break off some really big runs. And Montgomery did it a couple times last season, but Pierce has the speed to be able to outrun everyone to the end zone. And Montgomery, like, unfortunately, just, like, the way he is, I I like his potential. I think he has the ability to eclipse 1,000 yards rushing this season and hopefully at least, you know, some more yards all-purpose, you know, catching the ball as well. But I think Arteus Pierce you know, catching like a slip screen on the backfield or running a power O, he can break off, you know, a 70 or a 60 yard run all the way to the end zone, which is kind of explosiveness that this offense really like desperately needs. Absolutely. Who do you have, Reese? So I, I think Cody Whitehair being back at center, I think this is kind mm-hmm. of a, it's kind of a not exciting to talk about the offensive line, but I think <laughs> Love kind of the, battles. yeah, I think that, having Cody Whitehair back at center and hopefully seeing what can be done with this offensive line, which is just going through the, some retooling, you know, a new offensive line coach in Castillo, Juan Castillo. I mean, I think that it's kind of going to be interesting to see how the scheme changes. And of course, hopefully getting everyone back to the position they feel most comfortable at. There was quite a bit of juggling last year, kind of in the past two seasons with Nagy. He couldn't really make up his mind of how he wanted to organize things completely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that could go to uh, Highstead, like you brought up in past podcasts, too. That could be part of his doing as well. But I think, you know, honestly, the Bears were not able to get the running game going a lot last year. And in turn, it kind of just took the offense, which along with kind of the rudimentary play calling, really just made it very, it wasn't efficient. It was getting off the field very quickly, a lot of three and outs. And hopefully I think that stability up front, the offensive line, and, you know, a little bit more diverse playbook can really open up things for those offense. You know, I think that, you know, hopefully having Cody Whitehair back at center is kind of just the, the first starting piece to be able to build everything mm-hmm. else around it. And, you know, Kyle Long actually went on a couple different, you know, first take and a couple a couple different, uh, a couple different, you know, news places to kind of talk about the Bears offensive line and why we saw that regression. And he said that he absolutely thinks that Whitehair needs to be at center. He said that James Daniel is a really good, really, really good guard, um, but he's not vocal enough at center. And Cody Whitehair is kind of a, you know, big, confident dude. He's been playing the position for a while and he just has full understanding of how they need to run the system. And I think that's what a lot of people miss out on is that center is a more complex position than guard because you have to worry about, you know, making the checks at the line, adjusting, all all different kinds of things. And uh, I think that the, the decision to move white hair back to center was obviously a really good one. Center is also probably the most outside. I mean, it probably is the most important truthfully the most important position on the offensive line because not only do you have those call play call duties but you also have 
to control the primary primary inside rusher. And if you're in a 3-4, having that big nose tackle on you, if you can't control that rush, which is one of the most deadly and can allow a lot of different stunts and different pass rushing moves on the other offensive linemen, if not controlled, you really open up your offense to be very one dynamic and need you can't really open up any sort of deep passing game or anything. And I think we saw that from the Bears a little bit when James Daniels was in center. Um, so moving on to my second storyline to watch, I'm looking at who's going to be wide receiver too. Is there, are we going to have a high quality option? Uh, we do need speed. Is it going to be Ted Ginn Jr.? Is it going to be Darnell Mooney? Will Ted Ginn Jr. even make the team? I think that's something that some people aren't even considering because, hey, he didn't have the best season last year and he's getting older. Uh, kind of reminds me a little bit of the Victor Cruz signing we had. Shoot, how long was that ago? Like four years, four or five years ago? Um, where, you know, he kind of just came in for yeah. training camp and we ended up cutting him even though he had a lot of hype behind him. Um, and hey, uh, how is Riley Ridley developing? He showed a lot of promise towards the end of last season. Does he end up taking over that role? Because if he does, then do we really have enough speed in our primary receivers? That's a question to ask as well. So, uh, yeah. wh- whoever claims that position, I'm, I'm extremely to I'm extremely excited to see who the front runner is. Yeah, I'm excited too. That was, that was one of the things I was going to bring up personally too, because I was thinking a little bit more down down the order as far as just like who are going to be like the three and four almost. You know, how is Darnell Mooney going to slot in? Mm-hmm. Riley Ridley was definitely one of my big question marks too. I feel like I was kind of expecting a little bit more out of him last year that we didn't really get to see too much. And I don't know if that was a fault of his own or just kind of the way things worked out. You know, where is Anthony Miller going to slide in? Are they going to do what we advise? Are they going to push him out wide? Or are they going to keep him in the mm-hmm. slot? You know, right. Does Ted Ginn make the team? I think there's a lot going on in this wide receiver grouping. And it, I think mostly a lot of it's positive, which I'm happy about, right? Mm-hmm. I think they ha- kind of have a bevy of options to pick from, and they can kind of decide what they really want the offense to be tailored around. Absolutely. So I think that it provides the Bears with a good place to actually, for the first time in a long while, to pick and choose what they really want their wide receiving core to look like because they actually have some talent and some diversity in their wide receiver core. Yeah, and honestly, the best-case scenario and what I ultimately hope for even if it's a little bit unrealistic, is that Darnell Mooney just has a stellar offseason and wins that wide receiver two position because he has the highest ceiling out of all of them. Um, obviously, I think he put up like a 4.28 or something crazy like that. And he's shown to be a pretty dynamic player in college. But I voiced my own concerns about him and this <laughs> idea that a lot of Bears fans just, just think he's going to turn out to be this absolutely stellar player when, you know, history has it that a lot of these smaller, fast guys don't end up working out in the NFL. Um, so, Reese, do you have another, another uh, little yeah, story? Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about the nickelback position. In this defense, I'm thinking about, you know, who's really going to, is Artie Burns going to see some action? Is Mm -hmm. Buster Scrine going to run the nickelback position? I think he did a really good job last year. Didn't have any huge plays, but I think he was very consistent. And, you know, does Kendall Vilder, does he get to see some time at that nickelback position? Mm -hmm. Once again, it's kind of like the wide receiver. They kind of have a bunch of options that they can go to here. And I think that, you know, it's good to have depth and all that. I think they kind of need to pick which direction they want to choose. You know, I think Artie Burns in general is kind of an interesting topic because, you know, he's kind of regarded as a bust, but you never know with some of these guys, you know, what can they bring to the table. Sometimes just a change of scenery can be all they need, and he can totally turn his career around. Kendall Vilder, of course, is just, just drafted, so everyone's really high on him. And then Buster Scrine is the returner you know, kind of the incumbent. <laughs> so you kind of expect him mm-hmm. to probably at least have the first shot at everything. And of course, I think what really favors him is honestly his versatility as he can be played played everywhere. I doubt that, yeah. you know, someone like Scrying would be a cut risk at all. I mean, no. I expect him to fully be on the team. Yeah, absolutely. And I also have the cornerback position, maybe not specifically the nickelback position, but um, we have quite the cornerback, crowded cornerback room. You know, quite quite the crowded DB room, to be completely honest. Um, one player that I think has been constantly kind of overlooked is Trey Roberson. Uh, he he got the largest CFL contract in the NFL since Cameron Wake. And he's a player who, when you look at the film, he displays a ton of talent. Now, obviously, CFL players have a history 
working against Trey Roberson, and not a great history succeeding at the NFL level, but you know, someone who can definitely contribute and someone who is definitely able to make this team. The cornerback core is absolutely stacked. I mean, Kyle Fuller, and then we have Buster Scrine, as you spoke about, two high quality players and. I mean, it just it just uh, kind of shows how Ryan Pace has a really good job of taking a realistic look at this team because a lot of people were mocking the Bears for choosing Scrine over Bryce Callahan, where Bryce Callahan didn't play a single play last year. He was injured, and that was something that he consistently had when he was with us. And Buster Scrine, on the other hand, actually played very well. He played very high quality for us. He uh, he didn't have, I don't think, like a single holding call, which is what he was apparently known for with the Jets. Didn't have almost a single one. And people were people were mocking at us, saying that we'd hate him. He's been he's been amazing for us. Um, he's on a good contract too. And then hey, we brought in a stud in college with Jalen Johnson, and we have a ton of depth now with guys like Artie Burns who was a former first-round pick. Kevin Tolliver, who has shown to be a really high-quality option. I think HaHa Clint Dix even said that he believes he's going to be the starter for us. Um, and then, obviously, Trey Roberson, and then Vildor and Duke Shelley, who we drafted in the fifth round in 20... Was it 2019 draft, I believe? Um, yeah, I think so. So, so some really high-quality guys. And one thing that I want to hint on is Kyle Fuller is going to be off this team pretty soon. Kyle Fuller, this is, there's a very good chance this Kyle Fuller's last year with the team. Yeah, I think we talked a little bit about, you know, if Jalen Johnson develops really well and quickly and things are going really well, or if things are going really badly, I mean, he could be a possible trade, like deadline move, you know, especially maybe if things are going more like south, more worse, you know, mm. but you still see a little bit of promise with those DBs. I mean, that's completely stacked. It's almost like you almost fear having to cut a really good player when you're you have that many options, that many good options to go to. And yeah, I mean it proves how good Pace is at absolutely stacking this defense and they absolutely didn't make a mistake getting rid of Bryce Callahan. I think you have to be realistic in what the nickelback is. It's becoming more important in the NFL, you know, by the day, by the year. But at the same time, you just can't overpay with certain positions on the field. And they were going to be forced to do that with Bryce Callahan. And then, of course, Jalen Johnson, you know, I feel like he's someone that's really... Cole Komet, you know, was obviously the first pick that the Bears took this year. But I think Jalen Johnson has really controlled a lot of the hype. I think people are are ready to see Cole Komet and are excited to see him. But I think they're a lot more excited about what Jalen Johnson can potentially do. And yeah, everything else with that position. I mean, I, I think you basically covered it. Other, basically, just saying that it's going to be very good and should definitely be one of the strengths of the defense. Well, I think with Cole Komet, the reason why he's not getting as much hype is because the history that tight ends have in the NFL. Very few tight ends ever burst out onto the scene in their first year. I mean, guys like Hunter Henry uh, and and the dude with uh, the New York Giants. I can't think of his name right now. Um, oh, they're, yeah. they're yeah. Why can't I? Evan Ingram, Evan Ingram. They're kind of the they're kind of the oddities in the NFL. You know, it, it, it's it's not too common that you see guys just immediately have these great seasons. Where that's not really the case with cornerbacks. Jalen Johnson has a really solid chance of winning Defensive Rookie of the Year. Um, he's an extremely talented player, and he has you know an extremely talented defense around him and a really good DB core around him as well. I think Jalen Johnson ends up winning that outside role. I would be shocked to see Artie Burns uh, succeed over him. I think that Jalen Johnson is just going to really anchor it down. It would not surprise me if by the end of the season, Jalen Johnson's the one on more teams number number one wide receiver number one wide receivers than Kyle Fuller is. I yeah. just think, I just think he's he has the opportunity of being an All Star, All Pro. Maybe not this year, but All Pro in the future. That's just the type of player he is, and I'm extremely excited for Jalen Johnson yeah I think if he shows the potential to be able to go out there and guard teams number ones in his first year you just have to let him go out there and try to flourish and shine I think that everything that he shows that he can possibly do you just need to go out there and and throw it and see what he can just keep on conquering so. yeah absolutely and I think the final position I kind of want to talk about I mean, we there there is something to say about right guard. See if Jermaine Effetti's looking good, but I mean, even if he's not looking good, we're kind of stuck with him. We don't really have any other options there. But one one position that 
I'm really excited to see probably more than any other position is the tight end position. I think that, hold on a second, Jesus. <laughs> I think that, um, I think that the tight end position definitely has an opportunity of being really, really good this season. And I think that we might be able to see 700 to a thousand yards from the position this coming season. Um, Cole Komet, you know, I don't know how good he's going to be in his rookie year, but I'd be pretty surprised if he put up less than 300, 350 yards. And then Jimmy Graham, I'd be pretty shocked if he put up less than 500 yards. So I think that even though we have a, you know, massive, a position that we're massively overpaying players for, it would not surprise me if this is a damn good position in 2020. You can only hope so, right? And with just how bad it was last year, I mean, it wasn't awful in... 2018 but because Trey Burton was a little bit more around was a little bit more a part of the offense but then in 2019 I mean last year was just a mess Trey Burton didn't really do much Shaheen pretty much basically proved that he was a bust um which apparently the Bears tight end coach thinks that he's going to be fully ready to go and has the most potential so uh, okay. <laughs> maybe, <Okay. laughs> maybe we'll get to see more of Adam Shaheen but I think that Anything is going to be improvement from last year. I think the expectations you gave for 500 for Graham, 350 for Komet, I think those are both very realistic. Of course, the big, you know, variability for Jimmy Graham is, is does he get hurt, mm-hmm. which is something that he likes to do quite frequently. But Lost with Cole, <laughs> yeah, with Cole Komet, I think that 350 is pretty realistic, and, and a lot of what Cole Komet's going to bring to the team is not just going to be in the passing game. Of course, he's a great all-around. He can block as well. So I expect to see just the what the Bears can get out of the tight end position compared to last year is going to be a huge jump up. Like you said, the contract that Jimmy Graham is on is not optimal by any means. He's definitely getting overpaid a decent amount. But you know, to see some kind of improvement to bring... It's a position that's very important in Nagy's offense, right? Extremely. And which I think that people don't really address that often but you know part of the reason why Burton was brought in with Nagy was to to really soup up that you know that tight end position and it didn't quite work out so I mean it's kind of this is a big year to really hopefully see what having competent pieces at that position can do for this offense and I think a big reason why we saw the run game struggle so much last year also was related to the tight end position not only did we not really have anyone good to block when we wanted to do some heavy sets, but hey, um, a lot of the reason why we had eight men in the box on almost every damn play was because a linebacker wasn't taking a tight end. For a lot of you guys who don't know, a little slant through the middle with a tight end tends to occupy a linebacker, and it tends to also um, make things a lot easier on the running game and on on the short passing game and all, all different kinds of things. So, it's also probably going to end up being beneficial for blitzes as well because having a good tight end is deadly on blitzes. So, you know, hopefully this helps us solve a lot of the issues that we've had so far. Um, but it's, it is it is something that I'm still a little bit hesitant on just because we haven't seen it. But I do have faith in the players that we have here. Yeah, I, I think that it's about as good as a go as the Bears can do this year at this position. I think, of course, you know, it'll be good to see what goes right, what goes wrong this year, and then hopefully continue to improve upon it. But I'm just happy it's not going to be as a complete mess like it was last year and, and basically the first couple of years under Nagy's uh, term. Absolutely. So do you have any other uh, storylines or shall we move on to our final topic? Mm-hmm. No, I think we should move on to the to the bubble cities. And, and one yes. thing I was thinking about, right, <laughs> I was about to head to bed last night, and I was thinking, you know what, I really hope Chicago is in a bubble city. And I thought, because, I, I thought that because I was like, I don't want to see every player getting hurt. Because, man, <laughs> you know, uh, not even mentioning the stadium quality at all, the field of Soldier Field, just yeah, the natural bad. grass. Is awful. Bad. It's awful. And I don't think Bears fans fully realize that I think a lot of injuries that happen with this team, everyone's always like, oh, why do the Bears have so many injuries? It's because of the goddamn field. <laughs> the field is awful. Like, the field is absolutely horrible. I mean, I, as a season ticket ho- holder and recite, we, we go to a bunch of games together. We've seen 
you know, tons of players get injured on the field. And we've seen just how cold and drastic the conditions will be. I think eventually, as much as Bears fans don't want to hear it, I think eventually we're going to end up having some sort of dome in Chicago because that seems to be the trend the NFL is following. I think that teams are more willing to sacrifice some sort of quote-unquote home field advantage in the snow for uh, some some sort of dome play um, to, to, to prevent injuries. But yeah, so the, t- the topic that we're discussing is should the NFL consider having bubble cities? And, you know, it just seems like it's going to be a disaster to have players travel from back and forth from different cities in America, which currently has one of the co- worst COVID-19 outbreaks. Um, that just seems like it's going to be a disaster. So luckily, the NFL has the opportunity of learning from the MLB, the NBA, and the NHL on how to correctly play sports uh, this season. And I do believe the NFL will play games. Um, I kind of go back and forth on that, but I do at this moment believe that we will see games. And it seems like Roger Goodell is confident in that as well. So here's kind of an idea. Here's two ideas that I have. Okay. The first one. We choose a couple of major sports cities in America for the NFC and the AFC to play in, and we cut all the cross-conference games and we replace them with internal conference games. So that way, we essentially, you know, control the amount of people in contact with each other and cut that in half, right? And then we yeah. also keep them in the same, you know, maybe you do... Uh, maybe you do two cities or four cities and then the stadiums they would play in would either be, they would um, just play one after one after each other um, on the same field, or you'd maybe find two fields in that city. Like um, I know in like Los Angeles, we have a soccer field that is right in downtown LA. And then there's also the chargers field and then, which is another soccer stadium. <laughs> and, and then the new Rams field is going to be done soon. And hey, USC has a field, UCLA, the Rose Bowl has a field. There's a lot of fields in Los Angeles. So Los Angeles could potentially be a good city to consider. Also a really popular city. So hey, why not? And then the other option. Now this may be a little bit drastic, but I truthfully believe the NFL would be making the best decision if they did this. We take the NFL to Europe. Now hear, now hear me out on this. The NFL provides housing and dorming for players and their families. They can opt out if they really want to. Um, and if you go to Europe, A, the chance that any player gets COVID-19 goes so far down. Okay. You can test out the profitability of NFL in Europe. You can probably have people in the stadiums right? And you could still probably have advertisers or another option would be Canada. So as of right now, Canada only has 200 new cases across the entire damn country. It wouldn't be a bad idea to, you know, find a city in Canada that has a lot of soccer fields or or something, or even like high school fields. We need to remember that football doesn't need to be played in a huge stadium right now. This season, football doesn't need to be played in a huge stadium. It's going to be a little weird, but I would rather see football in a high school stadium than I would not see football at all. So I think by maybe deciding to play football somewhere else, it could drastically benefit the NFL. Well, I think that's honestly, that's a, I didn't even think about that option. And that's honestly, I think would be a very legitimate and interesting and savvy business move along with also being a responsible move as well. I, I, I like that. I like both those ideas, just playing it offshores, whether that be in you know Canada or be in Europe. Mm-hmm. What I will say is if they end up keeping it in the U.S., I think if they need to shorten the season or adjust it some way, I think that you, you said you bring up the idea of keeping everything in conference. What about, you know, there's basically for the AFC and the NFC, they have all the same things. They have a North, East, West, and South. Mm-hmm. Or, or is the Bears technically considered central? No, no, they're considered no. north, right? It used yeah. to, funny enough, it used to be central at one point a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what if like the NFC North and like the AFC North, like they played each other? So you play like your common divisional opponents, but you also mm-hmm. kind of tried to keep it localized like that. Unfortunately, with the NFL, some of I the divisions don't quite make sense. I mean, that means no. the Bears would be playing the Dolphins or. Actually, wait, no. They'd be playing like the, like NFC the East. Steelers. NFC East makes no sense. Yeah, the NFC East and the 
AFC East would be, you'd have Dallas and Miami playing each other. That'd be a little bit more of of a problem. But if you did a bubble city and then just, you know, did like the AFC and the NFC North teams together, and, you know, you could at least kind of do some kind of bracketing or maybe try to do mm-hmm. a, some kind of solution from that point. I think there's a lot of options that they can do. I think I saw Foz brought up on his Instagram page that the NFL hasn't come up with a plan yet. I think that hopefully, I think any kind of plan that they can get put into place rather soon would be better than no plan at all, which kind of we don't really have right now. So I think any route that they choose, as long as it's done responsibly, it is is good. I think the idea of a bubble city is responsible as something they can get you know feedback from other leagues that are doing the bubble city currently like you brought up or they can go with your plan which would probably be it's the most i'm not necessarily risky it's a more adventurous move but i think it's very interesting actually i didn't really think about it so they have a lot of routes they can go hopefully just choose one that's basically what i'm saying i think and i think seeing the nfl in europe you know, I'm going to be honest, I hate Europe games because the time difference is really annoying. But going to Europe, that seems like it might be one of the best options because the NFL would lose out on less revenue. Now, they would have to pay for housing for players and their families for, you know, a six-month period, which is not going to be cheap. I'm not going to lie, that's not going to be cheap at all. But it would still probably be less expensive than um it would still it would still probably be less expensive than just losing out on player revenue altogether you know and losing out potentially on a season so so it's it's a little bit of a crazy idea but i think that it would be the best option for us i i truthfully believe it would be the best option and uh, you know same thing with canada now canada I think they might have slightly worse cases. And also, this would all have to be agreed with by the Canadian government because I know a lot of places are locking down uh, any sort of travel from the U.S. Yeah. So so that so that would be a comp- complicating factor. But I'm sure if the NFL went to, you know, the EU or whatever and was like, hey, we'll play a bunch of these games, it'd be like, sign us up for that because it's going to bring in a lot of revenue for the, for the states. Um, but... I guess the reason I pose this question is because we're really going to have to be creative this season. I don't believe that the NFL can be played in the manner that it was played last year. I truthfully don't. I I think that it's going to cause a whole bunch of issues. It's going to have a whole bunch of problems. And hey, you know, even if we choose, you know, Los Angeles and New York, okay, or hey, maybe we decide to play in... Uh, states that are really lowly populated. So, hey, maybe we go to freaking like Nebraska and Wyoming. Yeah, Wyoming, where there's no one around. So we really don't have any sort of, uh, there's way less of of a chance of that happening. Rent out two entire hotels, get a, get a good bulk deal on them and have the players and, you know, a couple of their family members or whatever stay in their own private rooms and be able to stay there for the season. Now it's not going to be the best thing for players, but I'm sure players would rather do that than, you know, potentially miss out on part of their salary. And like, because they fear, um, you know, they fear, getting COVID and bring it to their family. Like these are honest concerns that you have to worry about. I mean, look at Nick Foles. Nick Foles just brought home a baby. Okay. His wife just gave birth like two months ago. Okay. And I know kids aren't typically the ones affected by this disease, but like, is there a possibility that Nick Foles might opt out of this season? I would say, hell yeah. If I had a kid, I wouldn't want to play. Yeah. No, I get it. I I think that, there is going to need to be a certain degree of flexibility that everyone is going to need to have. And that includes the teams, that includes the league, that includes the players, that includes all the staff. And you're going to have people that are opting out and people are just going to have to go with the flow and it's going to have to be what is happening. But you need to have some kind of plan in place where it allows for that flexibility, where things that would normally catch you off guard don't catch you off guard. I think that's just the bottom line of it is that everyone is going to need to be flexible. Yeah, 100%.
And I think that we as fans, we're going to have to be understanding because there's a really solid chance a couple of our favorite Bears players might opt out. And, you know, that's their right. You know, I, I, if I, you know, again, I said, if I had a young family and I've made 40, $50 million in my career, or I wouldn't want to, <laughs> I wouldn't want to risk playing one season that I could potentially bring home this disease to my family and I could potentially give them, you know, especially players with family members who are of high risk, you know, players who have a, a loved one or a sibling or a mother or father who has diabetes or some sort of really severe condition that could be heavily impacted by COVID. This Even asthma, like honestly. Yeah, asthma, asthma. I mean, there's, there's a abundance of potential issues that could occur. So that's why I think the NFL needs to be more proactive than reactive with this situation. And I do believe that we are going to need to implement some sort of converted season that assesses the risks of what's occurring. Now, we could also, I mean, put, I mean, hell, would anybody want to go play with a, with the Arizona Cardinals this year? <laughs> Arizona's having one of the worst COVID outbreaks ever in America. They, 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 they have one of the worst COVID outbreaks. They were at full capacity in their hospitals for a little bit. It gets extremely dangerous and we can't underrate that. So, I mean, another message is, Hey guys, if you want to have an NFL season, wear your damn masks. I went, I went out to, uh, I went out to dinner the other night or actually last night I went out to dinner and you want to see how many people were just waiting in this one damn room without masks on. It was a COVID trap. You know, wear your mask. Wear your mask when you go shopping because, hey, I want to have an NFL season, okay? Yeah. And I'm sure you guys do too. So yell at people who aren't wearing their masks. (laughs) (laughs) And then I think one last little snippet before we go ahead and call the show. Something that I found out this week that's pretty comical. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have won the NFC North more recently than the Detroit Lions. Whoa, sorry. I, I my Skype bugged out. Repeat that. The the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yeah. have won the NFC North more recently than the Detroit Lions have. <laughs> that's crazy. Because <laughs> it, it's like a team that wasn't even in that was that's out of the damn division, that's been out of the damn division for like twenty one years, has won it more recently than the Detroit Lions. So Detroit Lions fans, we're sorry, but uh, history is not on your side this year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, not with stats like those, and they usually aren't. History is never <laughs> on Detroit's side, unfortunately, at least not for football. So, No, it's not. So thank you guys so much for joining us for our special 30th episode. We'll be coming back at you guys on Thursday. Um, we don't have any guest plans, so it's just going to be another traditional episode, and we're excited to... Uh, really have you guys stay along with us on this journey. So thank you guys so much and bear down. Bear down.